Genesis, near the end of the book. Love for you to join me there. Today will be Genesis 45 through 47. We started looking at 45 last week when we covered several chapters there. We did get into 45, but not the whole thing. So if you would like maybe just one word today, then I think probably maybe the one word would be the word reunion. Reunion. Genesis 45 through 47. It's good to be together. If you're physically able, let's stand for the, uh, to honor the reading of God's word. And let me begin at verse 16 of Genesis 45. If you would follow along with me, Genesis 45, 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Verse 19, and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh. And again, you know who Pharaoh is. He's the king of Egypt. And gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Verse 23, to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, and I'll insert my words, oh yeah, by the way, do not quarrel on the way. Let's remain standing for prayer. Let's bow our heads and we'll even take a brief moment here of silent prayer. Maybe we use that time of silence for confession or for what we call petition. Let's pray. Father, even as we have been led this morning already in, in prayer before your throne and in singing how sweet and awful is the place, how, again, truly awesome, not the way we toss around the word awesome like 
pair of shoes or something like that, but truly awesome. Lord, I, I am reminded, we are reminded that we need you. Lord, help us if we be in Christ this morning. If we are Christians, we should not disagree with you when you call us saints. We should also not feel like we can be perfect or be perfected in this life. We know that it's far from it. And we're reminded of what we've been seeing this morning. We are prone to wonder as we prayed in our prayer time this morning. As one brother led us, Lord, we swell up with pride and with self-focus. So, Lord, all that we can pray in one sense is have mercy upon us. We go back to, to you, to your grace. We go back to the cross, to the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for sinners like us so that only by your grace we would be called saints. We are your saints. And one day you will fully perfect us. And so our prayer is, come Lord Jesus. Or there may be things, I know I have something this week that I'm looking forward to. And it may be exciting to us. We may be looking forward to a family reunion or to Thanksgiving or but Lord, help us to pray. Help us to pray. Even so, come Lord Jesus. This is our hope. Lord, would you work among us this morning? Would you bring salvation and conversion and build your church? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you do this? Would you stay on your feet for just a second? Let's finish chapter 45. Thank you so much. Verse 25. Look at this. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart, who's that? Who's that? That's Jacob. That's Israel. His heart became numb, for he, what? Did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel, same guy as Jacob, right? Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. You can have a seat. Thank you. If there's one word I say this morning, you could use that word reunion, Genesis 45 through 47. Isn't it funny uh, what we've already chuckled at there at the end of verse 24? He sent his brothers away, and, and the reason it's funny is because in context, this has just been a wonderful, I don't know, Hallmark movie moment where there has been this reconciliation. This reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, and they were weeping on each other's necks, and Joseph forgave them for their terrible sin against him, and he told them, I'm going to provide for you and for your families, but it's still, the younger brother still is the father to these ornery boys, and so he says to his older brothers in verse 24, oh yeah, 
do not quarrel on the way. It's just a reminder to us, is it not, that the church of Jesus Christ will be perfected by God one day. But until that day, we might need a similar uh, admonishment. On the way, on the pilgrim way, as you journey, so to speak, to the promised land, do not quarrel on the way. Don't answer out loud. Do answer really loud in your mind. Do you know what the last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew is? Anybody happen to know what the, not even the last verse, because there's two sentences in the last verse, but do you know what the last sentence of the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is? Let me give you a hint. The Gospel of Matthew ends with what we call the Great Commission. So if that maybe helps you. The last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew is this. Jesus says, the Lord Jesus, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? Does that ring a bell? Jesus says, Who's he? He's the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. Who's he? He's the risen Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. He says, Behold, I am with you always. I am with you always. Have you ever heard of uh, the 19th century missionary John G. Patton? Some people say Peyton, I say Patton. So John G. Patton, 19th century missionary to the New Hebrides. And so he went, and in his autobiography, I'm sure that I've, that I've shared this before, probably many years ago, this wonderful story of John Patton climbed up in this tree, and he told in his autobiography about sweet communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to understand the context. The reason that John G. Patton, 19th century missionary to the New Hebrides, was up in a tree was because he was literally being chased and being hunted by the natives, by the savages who were looking to kill him. So there was an unreliable chief, and then there was, I, I, think, there, I think it was hundreds, hundreds of, of these, you know, what, what we might call savages, these natives who were looking for, him, for his life. And he climbs up in this tree, and here's what he says. In his autobiography, listen to this. I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. As I told all my heart to Jesus. Do you get the picture of John G. Patton up in the tree? He's not saying, I don't think, in his autobiography that he has any 
earthly certainty that his life will be spared, he is saying, man, as I look back of being up in that tree, that was a rare time of sweet, true communion with the Lord. You know, and, and it, it was, it was, hear me friends, it was this verse, it was the last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew that in fact was so dear to John G. Patton. It seems that it was this sentence that he laid hold of, he, he laid a hold by faith of the promises of God, and what did it say again? What does it say? Behold, I am with you sometimes. No, behold, I am with you always. And so Jesus says to his church today, and so Jesus said there to his 11 disciples after he had been risen and after he had commissioned them. That's why it goes together. I'm commissioning you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and I'll be with you to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because we do not have a local deity. We do not have a God, lowercase g, who is the God over Goldsboro. As they thought about back in the day. And here's the God, Marduk or whatever. He's the God over Kinston. Our God is God over all. And he says to John Patton, as he says to us, I'm with you always. I'll just finish John Patton here. I'll finish him. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. I don't think John G. Patton was a charismatic in the bad sense of that word, okay? But do we know this? Do we feel the spiritual presence of the Lord Jesus in our lives? And sometimes and many times, let's be honest, we don't. And that's okay. We're not, we're not seeking feelings. But do we know, do we know that he will never leave us or forsake us? Well, we kind of continuing with our words. So last week was repentance and reconciliation. And I want to keep the second of those, okay? So, so this week we'll, we'll kind of move past the repentance. We never move past that. But we want to keep the reconciliation and then today reunion. Okay? Reconciliation and reunion. Here's the big idea this morning. This is the theme. This is... There's three chapters, but here it is. Joseph reconciles with his brothers and brings his family down to Egypt. Joseph reconciles with his brothers and brings his family down to Egypt. And I'll probably keep saying that. Number one, the first thing is Genesis 44, 18 through 45, 15. The second of two things, the second of two things will be Genesis 45, 16 through 47. Number two will be, I will be with you. Number one is substitution. Number one is substitution. Let's look at chapter 45, verse 1. Chapter 45, verse 1.
Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. Notice this. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Uh, we read uh, earlier when we were reading the scripture this morning, we read of how Joseph's father, Jacob, when he was told that his son was alive, what did it say? Do you remember? It said he was what? He was numb. Why? Because he didn't believe them. And in a similar fashion here in, in verse 3, his brothers are just, they're numb, they're dumbstruck. What? And, and we glanced at this already last week, and you will remember uh, as, as James Boyce says, it is God, 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 God. What do you, what do you mean? Well, look at this. Look at verse 5. And, and before you look at that for just a minute, just, just remember, we're doing this series on Joseph, right? And, and, it's, and it's Genesis 50-20. I'm, I'm just going to keep reminding you because we're really in the short rows now. Genesis 50-20 says it all. What does it say? Remember, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the preserving of many lives. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That is the warp and woof. That's everything. So in verse 5, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For, number one, God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, I won't count them. You count them in your mind. That was the first one. Verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you, verse 7, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, last week I told you there were three. See if you can find the new one. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, middle of verse 8, and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come. Well, I think Boyce is right. It's all about God four times, right? God, 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 God. Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams and in this case also to interpret providence. What I want you to see here in this passage is substitution. So there, there's, this, there's this book... Um, and the title of the book, I think the book has largely to do with, with hospitality and things like this. And, and in a book about hospitality, the author gives this title to the book, My Life for Yours. My Life for Yours. I think what he's getting at and what maybe his wife is getting at is hospitality is one of those things that, 
that you may love to do, but may not always seem like you, when it when it actually comes time, you may feel like, well, it's it's this was so much. This 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 required so much of us to do this. And hospitality is a wonderful thing. It's a very biblical thing. But it's really like the whole Christian life. The whole Christian life should be, dear friends, my life for yours. Not a focus on self, not self-absorption, but my life for yours. That is substitution. Perhaps you noticed that I said this first point of these two is verse chapter 44, 18. Chapter 44, 18 through 45, 15. Notice this substitution back in verse 33 of chapter 44. Notice this substitution. Verse 33, Genesis 44. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. Who's speaking here? Who's speaking in Genesis 44, 33? As we're thinking and as I'm saying to you, I want you to see the beauty of substitution in the Bible. The beauty of substitution in the Bible. Well, this is Judah. This is Judah, a man that we've already pointed out endured a gracious transformation. Listen to what's said about Judah's speech here. Listen to what some, some people have said. This passage, the end of Genesis chapter 44, they've said this is the most moving appeal in all of the Bible. The end of Genesis chapter 44. Here's what one man said. Listen to this. This is one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man. Did you catch that? This is one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man. Here's what another man says about this, this appeal. It's the most moving address in all the Word of God. Now, we're not going to look at it in great depth, but I want you to see it. I want you to see it again. The end of Genesis 44, if you look at the whole thing, it's 18 through 35. Or, I'm sorry, 18 through 34. What is it? What is it? It's Judah pleading with the Egyptian prime minister, who is Joseph. Judah is pleading with him for the life of his younger brother, Benjamin. Now, look at verse 32. Your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. You see that there in 44.32? This is Judah talking to Joseph. Joseph's older brother. Judah doesn't know that it's Joseph yet. Mr. Prime Minister, your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now look at chapter 43, verse 9. Look with me. Verse 9, chapter 43. This is Judah talking to his father Israel, to Jacob. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. 
Hey, without trying to over-spiritualize this or anything, could we not look at Genesis 43.9 and think of the Lord Jesus Christ as almost saying to the Father, Father, if I do not bring your people, if I do not bring them all the way home, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, I think it's like 70 verses and it's dripping with honey. You could almost see the Lord Jesus, I will be the pledge of your people. So you connect 43.9 to 44.32 and Judah, again, I don't want to take anything for granted. Judah is a changed man. He's pleading with Joseph at the end of chapter 44. Let me recount to you what happened. Do you mind if I pull you aside and tell you something? Do you mind if you're, if I, you shouldn't even allow me to do this. You are like Pharaoh himself. You're second, you are awesome. But, but can I just tell you that you told us, you told us that we couldn't come back here unless we brought our brother Benjamin. And we told our father that. And he said, no way. And then finally we convinced him. And so we brought him. And now you want, and now Benjamin is guilty in your eyes. And remember, Benjamin wasn't actually guilty, but Joseph framed him. Joseph framed him. And so now can I please take his place? Can I please take his place? Oh, Lord, can I please take their place? You see, he, he was what? He was a surety. Oh, that's a good word. He was a surety or he was a pledge for Benjamin's salvation. Uh, substitution. My life for yours. My life for yours. Uh, friends, I will tell you this. If you don't see that substitution is central in the Bible, then we don't know the Bible. And if we don't see that substitution, my life for yours, is part and parcel of Christianity, then maybe you have not yet understood Christianity. Because this, the gospel, the gospel is my life for yours. And listen, when the gospel takes hold of a believer, when God, by His grace, takes hold of a believer and enables them to believe, then we, we overflow with this same mentality and sacrificial service through the Holy Spirit to others. We say, my life for yours. Church, listen to me. We as believers, we say to other believers and to the world, we say, my life for yours. Oh, Judah is a transformed man. He's a changed man. I want you to see substitution. It's really all over the Bible. In a sense, it's the heart of Christianity. Jesus Christ in the place of sinners, bearing the wrath of God. It's beautiful. Verse 33, notice it again. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. Remember what that one man said? This is one of the manliest Please, in all of the Bible. So we don't say, man, there's a lot of weeping. and There's a lot of men in this passage bawling on each other's necks. That's eh, just not really for me. Can we, uh, I'd like for this church to be a biker church and we could, you know, whatever, a cowboy church. No, this is manly. This is one of the most poignant Please, in all of the Bible. So I've referenced Boyce already, and Boyce compares it to the, 
the pleas that other believers have made to God, like Moses and Paul. Listen to what he says. Judah was willing to become a slave to save Benjamin. So greatly did he love both him and his father. Moses was willing to be sent to hell for the sake of his people. Paul expressed a willingness to be accursed if it could mean the salvation of those he loved. Yes, but not one of them actually had to do it. Substitutions all over the Bible. Paul, oh, I want my people to be saved. Moses, oh, Lord, don't kill them. Let me be accursed. Even if they had had to die, they would have been sacrificing themselves only for people very much like themselves. In Jesus' case, the, sacrifices, the sacrifice was made for those basically unlike himself. We are sinners. Do you, um, do you own and feel your sinnership this morning? I'm not trying to be like an 18th century preacher or something like that. I've heard that word before. Do you feel this morning that you are a sinner? Do you own that? We are in desperate need of the grace of God, and that is precisely what he gives in the gospel. That's precisely what he gives through Jesus. Jesus is the sinless one. As I finish Boyce's quote, we are unlovely and unloving. It's one thing to look at what Moses did when he was a sub- act to try to be a substitute. Or, or just, just look at this, just what Judah did. But it's another thing to see what Jesus actually carried out. To see what he actually carried out. Joseph reconciles with his brothers and brings his family down to Egypt. Joseph, this is it. This is everything. You got it? Joseph reconciles with his brothers and brings his family down to Egypt. Number one, substitution. Number two, I will be with you. I will be with you. Look at chapter 46. Number one, the end of chapter 44, on into chapter 45. Number two, chapter 46 and 47, I will be with you. So Israel, chapter 46, verse 1, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Do you you see what's going on here? Do do you remember back at the end of chapter 45? I I don't expect you to. We read it earlier. You remember at the end of chapter 45? Dad, you'll never believe it, Dad. Joseph is alive. And more than that, he's the Lord over the whole land of Egypt. I don't believe it. He's numb. I don't believe it. No, let us tell you what he said. And, and not only let us tell you what he said, look at, look at what he provided. Look at what the prime minister, your son, Joseph, dad, he's alive. Look at what he gave us. Look at these wagons. I mean, Israel's an old man at this time. He's in his hundreds. We're going to find out he's 130 years old. He can't walk down to, to Egypt. He's got to be carried on the wagon like the babies. 
So this is what's going on. He said, okay, I'll go see my son Joseph. I believe now. I believe. I'll go see my son Joseph. And, and again, look at verse 41. I know we just read it. 46.1. 46.1. He took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. And if I could just summarize 46 and 47, here's what happens in 46 and 47. Jacob is going to have an audience with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Jacob's 130 years old, and he's going to stand before not only the prime minister who's his son, he's going to stand before Pharaoh. And remember that key word, reunion. There is a beautiful reunion of Jacob and his son Joseph. Joseph was dead. I choose my words carefully. Joseph was dead. Now, Joseph never physically died, but Joseph was dead to Jacob. By the way, at this, there's like a turning point. It's like he almost puts Jacob aside and starts calling him Israel from now on. Because, dear friends, this is about the people of Israel. Where are we in the Bible? We're situated between two things. We're situated between the exodus, which is about to happen, and we're situated between, on the other side, the promises made to Abraham. This is to the people of Israel. This is to comfort the people of Israel. How so? How will the people of Israel be comforted? By Genesis 46, 1 through 4. They will be comforted by this. The same thing that we are comforted today. John Patton. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Israel, we're exiled in Babylon. I am with you in Babylon. The church, Lord, you've called me to go to, to, go to Africa or Egypt, or you've called me to go to my cubicle and to, and to minister there. I will be with you. I will be with you. Always. To the end of the age. And we get that from right here. I will be with you, he says in verse 3. Who's speaking? It's God. What I'm trying to say to you is that Jacob in 46 and 47 is going to talk to Pharaoh. Jacob is going to have a reunion with his son. But none of that comes close to Jacob being addressed by God. Jacob is addressed by God, friends. It is one thing to have a reunion with your dead son. It's another thing to speak in the audience of the king of Egypt. It is altogether different to be addressed by the king of the universe who makes Pharaoh pale in comparison. And in verse 3 he says, I am God, the God of your father, do not be afraid. And I've said this to you and I'll keep saying it. Those are gospel words ultimately. Ultimately, friends, the gospel says do not be afraid. Oh, as Pastor Ray said this morning, there is something to be afraid of. There absolutely is. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul for eternity. Oh, fear is legitimate. But if you trust Jesus Christ, if you repent of your sins today... If you look to him as your substitute, my life for yours, then it says here what God says to Jacob, do not be afraid. Do you see that? Go to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And God adds a very personal touch 
right at the end of verse 4. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Israel, Jacob, your favorite son, who was to you as good as dead, he will close your eyes at your death. Now you've got to wrestle with the Bible. Jacob didn't die in the promised land. Okay? Jacob died in Egypt. Now, this promise does come true. Jacob's, listen to me, look at this. Jacob's body was carried back to the promised land. Jacob dies in Egypt later on, and God makes this promise here. Wrestle with the, with the text. There's got to be something a little bit bigger going on here, and I want you to see this. Who is Jacob? Jacob's Israel. We're on the cusp of God's greatest Old Testament miracle, which is the Exodus. So what he's saying here, because who reads this? Well, we're reading this today in 2022. Who read this first? Who read it first? The people of Israel. What did they read? What was the encouragement? Because God always wants to encourage his people, regardless of if it's 2,000 years ago or today. He is the God of all encouragement. 2 Corinthians 1, comfort, 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 comfort. Do you know comfort in your life? Are you a conduit of comfort to other people? Are you a conduit of comfort to other people? Do you know comfort in your life? God always wants to encourage his people, even if it means through many trials. Even if it means through many trials. What, what I say was the comfort to the original readers of this text to Israel. Well, ultimately, this, these four verses speak of the fact, I will bring you up from the land of Egypt in the Exodus. I want you to see something. God is saying here, Israel, the people of Israel, will become slaves. There will be for them humiliation followed by exaltation. That is yet to come. And we see it prefigured in Joseph, who was in prison, who had an awful life of humiliation, followed by what? Exaltation. He says it personally to Jacob here, but it is really to the nation of Israel. You are going to have, listen, you're going to have a terrible time. God is opposed to the proud, friends, but he exalts the humble. God is opposed, he is opposed to the proud, but he exalts the humble through Jesus Christ. And I say again, that's what he's saying ultimately in verses 1 through 4. Just like Joseph, oh, oh yeah, and just like Jesus, Israel will have humiliation before exaltation. You say what? Say Philippians 2, just like Jesus, exaltation comes after humiliation. You will be slaves in this land of Egypt. There will be another Pharaoh who comes up, what? Who does not know Joseph. There will be another king of Egypt who could give a flip about your people. This Pharaoh, this is the reason in chapter 47 that Jacob blesses him. Hey, you've blessed Joseph, you've blessed the seed of Abraham. 
I'm going to bless you. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. There will be another Pharaoh who doesn't care about the people of Israel. He will enslave them, making them task laborers, and God will raise them up. But my friends, that's not all. That's not all. This is not just to Israel. It is because Israel as a people will ultimately give birth to the Messiah. All of this. Would you look at the end of chapter 46? Would you look at the end of chapter 46? Verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him. Genesis 46, 28. It's talking about... Jacob, Israel, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, you see that? Oh, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Uh, how about Simeon, Luke chapter 2? You don't have to go there. Compare Simeon, Luke chapter 2. My eyes, you know Simeon, my eyes have seen your promised salvation. <laughs> oh, that's, it's all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friends. My eyes have seen your salvation. How similar is that to what Israel says to Joseph? Does he not, like Simeon, say, Now my eyes, what? My eyes have seen God's salvation. That's what Joseph was. Joseph was God's salvation. Very imperfect. Not the Savior with a capital S, but a Savior nonetheless, because he gave food for people so that they would not die. And Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life. Whoever hungers, let him come to me. Whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and he will, he will never thirst again. Verse 30 again, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. Skip down to chapter 47. 47-27. 47:27 last place <coughs> Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen Oh who does he mean does he mean the people of Israel or does he mean Jacob answer yes and they gained possessions in it, Genesis 47, 27, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. Did you miss the end part of verse 27? They gained, 27b, they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Well, it all goes back to Abraham. It all goes back to Abraham because it all goes back to promise, because it all goes back to God. And God had said to Abraham, and God makes promises, and he never breaks his promises, and all of his promises find their yes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God promised Abraham a land and a people and an offspring. 
And all of this goes back to Abraham, which is to say it all goes back to God. And Genesis chapter 12, and I am done. Listen to me. Genesis chapter 12, God promised to Abraham a seed. And I would just simply remind you that here is the initial fulfillment. Not one of Israel's family members, not one of Jacob's family members stayed behind in Canaan. They all went down to Egypt and they started growing like crazy, making babies. And the whole point is that through Israel comes the Messiah. Because the seed, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is Paul, Galatians chapter 3. Not Paul, is Jesus Christ. He is the seed. He is the offspring of Abraham. And everyone who is in Jesus Christ belongs to Abraham, belongs to God, Go to Truist this afternoon and take the promises of God. Take them to the bank. Let's pray together. Lord, you are great. It is no small thing that Jacob stood before Pharaoh. It is no small thing that he was emotionally reunited with his son who was as good as dead. But it is the biggest of deals that you speak to us through your word. There is nothing more important than the fact that you have revealed yourself to us as you did to Jacob. Jacob, Jacob, fear not. I will be with you. May we cling to your promises that you are forever and always with us. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen.